I had that book signing yesterday, and the crowd wore me out. I'll tell you. They asked hard questions, and they didn't like my answers. Uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, if you're visiting us, we want to thank you for coming to the President's class. Did you hear that there's somebody named Street over in this corner? It's a long-lost relative I didn't know I had, right? With one T on the end of their name. Little come up a little short of the regular street quality that I'm used to. Since I have two T's on my name. But uh, welcome to the class. We hope that you enjoy it. And Dr. Kane, thank you for serving the class for this year, past year, and for your lovely wife, Kat. Dr. Kane's jokes would have been much worse if they didn't go through the filter of Pat first. <laughs> and, uh, so, and now you're stuck with Jim Ray, but fortunately he's got Paula standing next to him, so that's good. Well, we have uh, Psalm 68 to study today. So open your Bible there. And you'll notice that this is a 35-verse psalm. Next week's a 36-verse psalm. So these are long psalms. And it's going to be impossible for me to cover this psalm in great detail. But I think that we can get the gist of the psalm if I give you uh, the background of the psalm and put it in sort of a historical context. And when I do that, then the psalm sort of falls in place. And so we're going to have to do sort of a sweep of the psalm. Now someone said, why don't you divide it in half, you know, and do one half this week and one half next week. It's because when you do that, some of the people that are here this week won't be here next week, and some people that are going to be here next week won't be here this week, and I'd be like starting in the middle of a psalm and they wouldn't understand what it's about. So I thought, okay, you know, I've got uh, 35 minutes, class is over at 9, 9.15 or whatever, 10.15. So uh, I think we can, 35 verses, 35 minutes? Doesn't seem like an impossible task, does it? As long as we don't deal with a great, you know, in-depth study. So let me give you some background. Um, in his war against the Philistines, King Saul dies. Okay? Whether he dies in battle or he falls on his sword and it's a suicide, uh, it's somewhat ambiguous, but he dies. And as a result, David is crowned as the king. Okay, So that's what you need to know. Saul is dead, fighting against the Philistines. David becomes the king. Okay? That story is found in 2 Samuel. So I want you to turn there. I'm going to do a couple background things, which will allow us then to go through the psalm itself very quickly. So go to 2 Samuel and chapter 5. 2 Samuel and chapter 5. I'm going to be reading out of a New King James Version of the Bible. All the Bibles say basically the same. The words will be a little different. But the gist of the message is the same. 2 Samuel chapter 5. And look down at verse 17. Chapter 5 and verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it. And he went down to the stronghold. 
And the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rehaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he said, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver me into their hands? Will I end up losing if I go against them? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So here we see David is made king, and he knows he's going to win. Now look at verse 25. And David did so, and the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba to Gezar. Again, verse 1, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose, and he went with all the people who were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up from there, now watch this, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So he's going to take the ark, which is not in Jerusalem. It's outside the city of Jerusalem. And he's going to take the ark and he's going to bring it back to Jerusalem. And he's going to put it in the tabernacle. Okay? Because the ark has been displaced. Does that make sense? Okay, now look at verse 10. So David would not move the ark. By the way, between uh, verses 2 and verse 10, something happens. And uh, I won't go into all the details, but David has to set the ark aside for a second. And that's what you're going to see in verse 10. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David, but he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. So he doesn't get it back to Jerusalem. It stays in this place three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. That was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. Why did he bless him? Because of the ark of God. There's somebody's phone. Okay, now look at this. So David went and he brought up the ark of God. Now watch. He brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. It's very important that you see that it's with gladness. Now he's going to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Verse 13. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed an oxen and fattened sheep. Then David danced before the Lord. This is how happy he is. With all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. They're singing, they're playing the songs as they're marching along. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, saw through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling. See, who said Baptists don't dance? Uh, weeping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So, verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in, the, in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected forth. So, that's the story. Now, you know what the ark of the covenant is. That's a box that has three items in it. It has the Ten Commandments, it has Aaron's rod that's budded, and it's got manna in it. It's got a lid on it that is covered with gold, and it's got two cherubs whose wings touch. And God dwells between the wings of the cherub. 
that ark, which belongs in the tabernacle, had been displaced because of the Philistines. And now David brings it back, and with him 30,000 people, many more. And as they're bringing it back, they're singing. Now I want you to imagine in their minds what they're singing and shouting as they bring the ark back to Jerusalem. It is Psalm 68. Okay? Now, if you, with that background, we can go through Psalm 68 fairly quickly. Okay? Now, what are they singing about when we go through Psalm 68? Now, listen carefully. They are singing about the Exodus, how God delivered Israel from the Egyptians, which was the major event in Israel's history. They sing about their trek across the wilderness, 40 years. They sing about entering the promised land. They sing about the time of the judges, when they're in the promised land. They sing about their fight with the Philistines. And they sing about bringing the ark into Jerusalem and raising it up and setting it in the tabernacle. And that's what Psalm 68 is about. Okay. So let me give you an outline. Okay. So here's how I'm going to outline the book. Now I'm going to have you turn to another passage because we're going to need that as well. But here's how I'm going to outline Psalm 68. Okay. Verses 1 through 17. You're going to see them recounting God's past victories. 1 through 17. Now that, remember, this is as they're bringing the ark, they're singing, and they're recounting God's past victories. 1 through 17. Verse 18 which is found right in the middle of that psalm, is the key verse. Okay? And we're going to give some attention to that. Okay? And that's the pivot verse. And then the last 17 verses, verses 19 through 37, we're going to see that they're praising God for His victories, and they're going to see a big closing fanfare. Okay? So let's look at verse 1. We're going to look at this first section. And the first six verses is sort of a prologue to the section. And I want you to notice, it says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Now look at this. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered. Now if I told you to remember that, because in a second I'm going to turn you somewhere, you're going to have to remember something. Here's what I want you to remember. Remember the words, Let God arise, and his enemies be what? Scattered. You remember that? Okay, so let me just read this. Let God arise and he's in it. Now remember, they're singing this. As they're bringing the ark, as they're marching with the ark, they're saying, Let God arise. See, they're singing this. Let them rejoice 
exceedingly. This describes as how they are acting as they're bringing the ark toward Zion, toward Jerusalem, toward the tabernacle, and they're singing about God's past victories over the enemies of Israel. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, this, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, is a quote from Numbers chapter 10. So I want you to turn there. This is the only other place I'll turn you for the next 20 minutes. Okay? But look over at Numbers chapter 10. And when you get there, I'll tell you what that section is about. Numbers chapter 10. And I want you to look at the end of that chapter. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 10. End of that chapter. Now what we have is there's been an exodus. God's opened up the Red Sea. The Jews have escaped Egypt. They've gone to Mount Sinai. They've gotten the Ten Commandments and they're ready to march across the desert. Okay? And look what it says in verse 35 of Numbers chapter 10. It says this. And so, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, look, arise, Lord, let the Lord arise. See that? Let your enemies, what? Be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And when it, that's the ark, rested, when they stopped and rested, do they have to rest at night? He said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. And so, when you go back to Psalm 68, and there, now, after the defeat of the Philistines, David is bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, and all the people are singing. What are they singing about? They're singing about the Exodus. They're thinking of the past victories. Because when they defeat the Philistines, that's just God defeating another enemy. Just like he did way back there when he defeated the Egyptians. Now they're carrying the ark toward the promised land. So when he says, let God arise, what does that mean? That means they've picked the ark up. God's rising. Because God dwells between the wings of the cherubim. God's rising. And they're marching. So that's what's happening here. This is a, this is a march. And you see that very clearly in these next verses. Look at verse 4 through 6. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Exalt Him who rides on the clouds. His name is Yahweh, Jehovah. And rejoice before Him. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. He is God in the holy habitation. He sets the solitary in families. He brings out, look, he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Where does he bring them out of? He brings them out of Egypt. Where is he taking them? To the land of plenty, to the land of prosperity, to the promised land. See, this is the kind of song that Israel was singing as they were leaving Egypt and they were heading toward the promised land. And what we have is David and the people repeating that. So notice it says, he rides. Do you see that in verse 4? Extol him who rides. God's, God's, God's on the move. He rides. Now, look at verse 7. Now, this is addressed right to God. 
Oh God, look at this. Now remember, this song, this song is written by David. Not while the events are happening. He's not writing it while he's carrying the ark. He's like, hey, let me get my tablet out or my cell phone out and uh, quote these things for you as we're going along. For when does he write this? After they arrive in Jerusalem, right? He would write this after the fact. And uh, why is he writing it? Well, it says in the superscription, he's writing it, he's giving instructions to the chief musician. Look what it says. It's a song. You see that in the superscription? This is a song Israel is to sing when they all get together at the tabernacle to worship God. And guess what? We're reading it today. And we just sang some of it. And they would sing some of it in their worship. So now he addresses God. And I imagine you could just see everybody in the congregation singing verses 1 through 6. And then maybe there's just a choir. And they sing, Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched before the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So you can see now that all that is addressed directly to God right there. And it describes Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. It describes all these events that are connected with the Exodus. So, look at verse 7. Right in the middle of verse 7. When you march through the wilderness. Do you see that? When you march through the wilderness. It says, God, look. Look what it says. Oh God, when you went out before your people, he led them in the Exodus. Look at this. When you marched through the wilderness. See? Now, I know that up in verse 1 through 6, God rides. Is that what it says in verse 4? He rides. In verse 7, he marches. You see that? He rides. He marches. This God's on the move. And he's leading the people. Out from the exodus toward the promised land. And you see that. Look what happens when they get to the promised land. You, O oh God, sent plentiful rain. And that's why the promised land was a lush land. A land of plenty. Whereby you confirmed your inheritance. He promised the people. Give them an inheritance of land. When it was weary... Oh, will we ever get there? Yes, we did get there. And boy, it was plentiful. It looked like it rained there. The desert had bloomed. It was like a rose. You confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. That's in the promised land. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. So here we see that God brings them into the promised land. And this is the song that David and the people are singing as they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem after defeating the Philistines. This is why that background material is so important. Now in the song, he speaks to the nations. He speaks to the enemies. Look what he says in verse 11. The Lord gave the word, and great was the company who proclaimed it. And what God said was, go out and fight that battle. I'll be with you. And they said, go, fight the battle. The Lord will be with us. They took God in his word. And look what it says in verse 12. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home 
divides the spoils. Notice what happens here. We have God proclaiming the word that he's going to go with them. He goes with them, and the kings of the armies flee in battle. The enemy flees because God is bringing victory. And then after a victory, guess what you get? The spoils of battle. So look what it says at the end of verse 12. And she who remains at home divides what? The spoil. Even the people who didn't fight in the battle, like the women and children, they didn't have to fight. They sort of had to stay put. But guess what? She who remains at home divides the spoil. They get in on the spoil. They get in on the victory. Even though they didn't lift a finger, they are the recipients of the spoils of the victory. Look at this. Though you lie down among sheepfolds, that doesn't smell too good. And that's, look at this. You'll be like the wings of a dove covered with silver. Oh, boy, when you get the spoils of battle, you, you start looking better. Look at that. You'll be like the wings of a dove covered with silver. And her feathers with yellow gold. That's the spoils of battle. You end up getting all this from the enemy, and they are then distributed to the people back home. Okay? You end up being dressed to the nines. Or you were in just cruddy old clothes and laid down with sheep, the sheep, and now you're dressed to the nine. Does that make sense? Look at verse 14. When the Almighty scattered the kings in it, it was white as snow and salmon. Now what in the world does that mean? See, all these spoils came from these kings of the foreign nations who end up losing the war. Uh, and here it says in verse 14, when the Almighty scattered the kings in it. Let me tell you what it was like. When those guys got scattered, it was like white snow on Zalman. What in the world does that mean? Well, Zalman's a mountain range. Okay? And, uh, but there's never any snow on Zalman. So it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that you know, it was rare or unusual, but what, what most commentators think is that this is describing the kings are scattered. When God scatters the king, it was like snowflakes scattering all on, on a mountain. See? And uh, so it means they were running for their lives. It's a hard verse, we're just not sure, but it, it means something along that range. It's the kings basically have been defeated and they're just running for their lives. The mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. Now, what in the world is the mountain of Bashan? See, if I really had the time to deal with it in detail, I could take you back and show what Bashan was. It was a region right outside the Promised Land. And there was a king there named Og. And he's mentioned three times in the Bible. And when the Jews tried to get into the Promised Land, Og came out to try to stop them, but they defeated Og. All kinds of stuff that you can look at when you look at a psalm like this, but we just don't have the time. But what he says here is the mountain of God is the mountain of Basham. Basham was an enemy of Israel, but guess what? Now it's God's mountain. Used to be King Og's mountain. But he's been defeated. He's been scattered. Now it's God's mountain. You see that? So that's what it's saying here. The mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Basham. Now look at this. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? You know, that was a very high mountain. It was a fortress. 
and maybe they thought, and this is all metaphors, but uh, these mountains were very tall and much higher than than uh, like Mount Zion, you know, where, where Israel is located, the tabernacle is located. And they're fuming, this is where God should reside, up here on our mountains. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in, that's Israel. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. So God has chosen to dwell in Jerusalem. So that's what this basically means. The chariots of God are 20,000. Even thousands of thousands, myriads. God's troops, his chariots, which probably is a reference to angels. God has God is the Lord of hosts. He has all these heavenly hosts at his disposal. Thousands upon thousands and thousands upon thousands. And when God goes before you in war, goes before Israel in war, they're not going in with their bows and arrows and their their armaments. They're trusting God to go before them with the angels. And the angels just basically God and his angels basically just wiped out the enemies. So the chariots of God, verse 17, are thousands of thousands. And the Lord is among them in Sinai in the holy place. That would be where the tabernacle is. So it's just describing God who has gone before them and where God dwells. He dwells where the ark is. And he dwells in Jerusalem. Okay? And that's basically what it's saying. So here we have this recount of wars and battles and God winning the battles. And this is what they're singing. Okay? That's all you need to know, really. Okay? Now we have this key verse, verse 18. And here's what it says. Talking about God. You have ascended on high. You've led captivity captive. You've received gifts from men, even from the rebellious that the Lord might dwell there. So what we have is, this is a description of a king who has gone into battle. doesn't matter which who the king is, but a king has gone into battle. Looks like that King David. A king has gone into battle, and he has defeated the enemy. And then when he defeats the enemy, what he does is he comes back to his hometown, and he ascends on high. Okay? He's going to sit up on his throne. And uh, it says he leads captivity captive. He goes out there, and you've seen pictures of World War II, where you have all these enemies who are captive, and you have the general riding on his horse, and all these soldiers, and then you have all the captives that are behind, following behind. And so this is a picture of a king who is just leading uh, a defeated army behind him, uh, and it says you received gifts from among men, that's the spoils of battle, the king has won the battle, even from the rebellious. He's got all these spoils of battle. And then look what he does. Uh, that the Lord may dwell there. Now, we're going to talk about that in a second. okay? Because I want to come back and deal with this key verse. But this is a victory march of a king who's won a battle. Now watch this in verse 19. So now we come into the sort of praising God. Okay? Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. He doesn't only give you spoils of battle. He loads you with benefits. How often does he give you the benefits? Day by day. He's the God of our salvation, the God of our deliverance, the God who wins the wars on our behalf. Okay. And then it goes on to say, our God is the God of salvation, meaning of deliverance. And to the God, and to God, 
the Lord, and to God the Lord, belong escapes from death. He's the one that helps you to escape from death. Like when the kings are coming against you, escaping from death in Egypt and all that. And then it goes on to say, but God will wound the head of his enemies. So in other words, you escape from death, verse 20. But God will wound the head of his enemies. The hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. So, God delivers Israel, but he wounds the enemy. And he actually scalps them. Right there in verse, uses that kind of language. Verse 22, the Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will bring back from the depths of the sea. So here you are going out against an enemy. You're going through a sea. I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. That your foot may crush them in blood. You're going to win the wars. And the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. This is after a battle's over. The dogs go into the battlefield. All pictures of battles that are being won. And then he goes and dresses God. And this maybe this is the choir singing again. They have seen your possession, O God. The possession of my God, my King, in the sanctuary. Because this is a song. You don't know who's singing what. So you have to sort of figure this out. So notice what they've seen. They've seen your procession, O God. What's the procession? Bringing back the ark to Jerusalem. There's a procession that's taking place after the battle is won. The procession of my God, my King, where? Verse 24, into the sanctuary. Do you see that? All heading toward the tabernacle. All heading toward the sanctuary. Okay, and it goes on to say, the singers went before the players in this procession. The singers are first. Players on the instruments followed after. <coughs> Among them were the maidens playing trembles. See how they're singing and dancing as they're going toward the tabernacle with the ark? The Lord from the fountain of Israel Bless God in the congregation. The Lord from the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin, their leader. And this is talking about tribal leaders who are just following along. The princes of Judah and their company. The princes of Zebulon and the prince of Naphtali. These are all tribes of Israel. And these are each tribe has its own leaders. They're all marching along, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Your God has commanded your strength. Look at that. God is the one who's the strength of Israel. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. Keep it up. Don't let it go. Keep doing it. Rebuke the beast of the reeds. Look what they asked God to do. Rebuke the beast of the reeds. What in the world does that mean? One commentator said this is a reference to the Red Sea. I'm not sure if this is the case. And all the beasts the hippopotamuses and potami and crocodiles that are in the sea. Look, Israel, when they came out of Egypt, had to cross the Red Sea. You think that sea was empty? No. Think there were some animals in there that would like to take your leg off? So it could be that that's what they're saying. Rebuke the beast of the reeds or the Red Sea. I don't know if that's right or not, but it's talking about some sort of beast, either literal or metaphorical. They're not good things. Rebuke the herd of bulls with calves of the people. Now, is that literal bulls? Or is they just talking about Jesus when he was on the cross? And in Psalm 22, talks about the bulls of Bashan are against me. 
talks about the enemies of Israel, the calves of the people. Uh, that may mean the gods of the people, the pagan nations. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt? Moses is up on the mountain. People got tired of Moses being up on the mountain. What did they do? They made an idol. What kind of idol did they make? An idol of what? A calf. So he may be saying, rebuke the enemies of Israel and their gods, like the calf god. You see? So you see how hard that this psalm is? Pretty hard, isn't it? And to really just run through it like this, like, all you can do is get sort of an overview. Do that until everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. What in the world does that mean? That means until the enemy bows and gives up the spoils and pays tributes. Tribute. Scatter the people who delight in war. Because Israel is a nation of peace. So scatter all those people who delight in war. And here's the end game. Envoys will come out of Egypt. And here's the end game. Once Israel settled, and maybe this is even talking about you know when the kingdom of God comes on earth, but what happened? Ambassadors, envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands toward God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Notice all the kingdoms are commanded now to sing to God. Oh, sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. And then finally it says, O oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. As great as the tabernacle is, you're greater than the tabernacle. You know, this isn't about the tabernacle, this is about you. Oh God, you're more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Praise be to God. So what we have, we have a song. It's being sung as the ark is being brought into Jerusalem after the defeat of the Philistines. Interesting about all these past battles, especially the Exodus. Now, with that said, I told you, the key verse is key verse 18. And I can cover this very quickly. So let me read it. You've ascended on high, you've led captivity captive, you've received gifts from among men, even from the rebellious, to what purpose? That God may dwell there. Okay? That verse is quoted by the Apostle Paul. Okay? And it's quoted in Ephesians chapter 4. So I want you to turn there, and I'll show you how Paul quotes the verse, and uh, I'll just say a closing word in the last two minutes. Okay? So go over to Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, God talks about the importance of us being in unity. The church should be live in unity with each other. We shouldn't be divided. So he talks about the unity in Christ. And then he says, but, in other words, we should all be one, but there's something for each of you. Yes, everything should be one, but each of you, individually, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, we're all apportioned grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, now look at this, what does he say? 
This is King David. In Psalm 68, 18, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Do you see that? That's the quote from Psalm 68. Just as God had won the battle, so now what he does is he ascribes Christ winning a battle. And he applies it to Jesus Christ. Notice in the parentheses there, in the next verse, he says, now this. He says, now this. Now listen to this, he says. Who is this guy who ascended on high? What's, look what he said. He ascended. Now remember, he's applying this to Jesus. He ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first, what? Descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who, what? Ascended far above the heavens. For what reason? That he might fill all things. Okay? So what he's doing is he's drawing a picture of Jesus. And he says, let me tell you about this Jesus who ascended. And when he ascended, something happened. When he ascended, the battle was over. He had won the victory. But who is this guy who ascended? He was first the guy who descended. And he came down here and he fought a battle on behalf of us. And in this battle he won, which he won, he defeated disease, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated these things, and then he rose from the dead, and he ascended, and he sits at God's right hand, and in winning the battle, he received the spoils of battle. Because when a battle is won, you get the spoils. And that's what it's talking about. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. See? They're all his captives now. And he gets the spoils of battle. And it says in verse 8, he gave gifts to men. So what does he do? He now starts distributing the spoils of battle. He starts distributing what we call gifts. And these gifts are given to us. Did we, did we fight the battle? Did we lift a hand to fight the battle and win the war against Satan? Sin and death? Or who won that battle? Jesus did. And as a result, there are gifts. There are spoils of battle. And that's what he, how he's playing this out. And he says these gifts are now distributed to each one of us. Are apportioned to each one of us. Okay. Now just let me just read quickly just the rest of these verses. And he himself gave some apostles. Now, it means he could give some apostles gifts, or maybe he gave the apostles, the, the gift is the gift of the apostle. He gave some people the gift of being apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why did he give these gifts? Now watch. Three reasons. Notice four. He gave them for the equipping of the saints. You see that? He gave them for the work of the ministry. You see that? He gave them for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long do these gifts, does he give these gifts? One time only or are they ongoing? Look what it says in verse 13. How long? Till, until we all come to the unity of the faith. Have we come to the unity of the faith yet? I don't think so. 
of the knowledge of the Son of God. Has everybody come to that? I don't think so. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't think we've done that, but that's what all these gifts and these benefits that God gives us are for. To what end? Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind of doctrine. Most church people and members have been Christians for years and they're still tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They're asking, well, do you believe in eternal security? Do you believe you can lose your salvation? They ask all these questions about doctrine. Tossed to and fro. I don't know what I on the one hand and on the other hand. And it shows you why we need gifted teachers, why we need pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, as it says here. They are given to us to teach us, to build us up, that we have knowledge on all these things. And then it goes on to say that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by everyone's doctrine, by the trickery of men. How many people are hoodwinked by false evangelists and prosperity teachers and all that? And cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together <coughs> by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. So here we see that the gifts are intended for the body of Christ. Christ won a battle, and it wasn't just a battle for our salvation that one day we go to heaven. It was a battle, and the spoils of battle are distributed so that now on earth we can grow up and be mature believers in Christ. All that from that one verse, Psalm 68:18. Hard to believe, isn't it? what Paul can do with a verse and uh, lay it out like this. And this is what he does. So, yes, was it hard to go through 35 verses and make sense of it? It was almost impossible. And either we did it or we didn't do it. Okay, next week we'll hit Psalm 69. And then, next week is, uh, what's the weekend? Labor Day weekend. Psalm 69, and then the following week, we're back to Matthew chapter 24. Okay? And we're the Olivet Discourse. The signs of the times and the second coming of Christ. That's what we'll pick up. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, we've had so much material to cover today. And yet, even though it's not crystal clear all the details, we've got, we got the gist of it. You are a God who goes before us. You are a God who wins our battles. You are a God who distributes gifts to us for our benefit. And now, Lord, help us not to squander those, but use our talents and gifts to build up a body of believers that are mature and unified in Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.